be in Second Chronicles 34 and 35. Let's pray. And now, Lord God, as we open your word, open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, may we seek to understand, to know, and especially obey. We ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Been a bit of a journey as we've traveled through Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, and this is our last Sunday as we look at this uh, passage together. We'll be ending with Josiah next week, moving on to uh, the book of Colossians. <clears throat> in Bolivia, the culture uh, was different than anything I'd ever been in before. Mexico was a certain culture, the States was, Bolivia was different in a whole bunch of other ways. And one of the most complimentary things you could do for a parent who had just had a child was to go up to them and say, oh, that baby looks just like you. And, and that was considered just really the, an incredible compliment. Now, I worked with university students a lot in the first two, three years. And so when our youngest daughter was born and I'd be holding her there, they'd come up and they'd say something like that. And if I knew them well enough, and I didn't always, but if I knew them well enough, I'd say, oh, no, I don't want her to look like me. I don't want a daughter with a beard, you know. And, of course, they'd, they'd laugh and they'd get it. <clears throat> but that whole idea of you look like or you're, you remind me of. Uh, Fourteen years ago, I had the privilege of speaking at the church that my parents helped to found in southern Mexico. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of intimidating to stand up before a bunch of people who remember when you were born and uh, remember all the stuff you did when you were fairly naughty for the first seven, eight years of your life. But I remember preaching and, and just having a wonderful time of sharing in this amazing place with all these new people whom I'd never seen because they'd been one to Christ down through the years. And afterwards, some of the older ones came up to me and said, you preach just like your dad. Just like your dad. It was like, <clears throat> it was like hearing, hearing him. And I went to pieces then too. <clears throat> Many times today we say stuff like that. The children look like their parents. And what we mean is they have maybe similar looks or similar gifts. Um, similar skills and say, well, you are, you're just like your dad. And we mean it in a good way. As you're going through the books of Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, you begin to see that there's one person that everybody, if they look like them, they're good. And that's David. And as you go through all of those, there's only two people besides David that are referred to as they walked in the same way or they were like their father, David and Josiah is one of those. And remember, King Manasseh uh, was one of the most wicked kings uh, of Judah, and he was compared to Ahab. He did have a time of conversion where he, he humbled himself before God. But Manasseh and, jo and Amon, his son, were evil in every way. And, and 2 Chronicles 31 puts it this way, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, like his father Manasseh, had done. And uh, verse 24, his court officials assassinated him. And what they were thinking of is we can't do any, we can't do any worse than this. Let's, let's just end this. And uh, not, not agreeing with that at all. But that was just so his fa Josiah's father and grandfather were talking about. And then here comes Josiah. Let's go to verse 1 of chapter 34. 
because of his father being assassinated, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, David. Not his father, Amon, not his grandfather, Manasseh, but David. He's not turning aside to the right or to the left. Josiah looked like his father, David, way, way back. So eight years later, um, he's 16 years old now. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God, uh, the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places and Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars and the veils were torn down and cut in pieces, and the incense altars were above them were smashed, Asherah poles cast down. These he broke in pieces and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. And he burned the bones of the priests, etc. So, so here's a guy, he's, he's 16 years old, and, and somehow he, he understands that he needs to be seeking after God. Now please understand, he didn't have a, a tablet that he could start looking at the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, man, they blew it. He didn't have anything. He had no scripture. Somewhere along the line, from age 8 to age 16, age 16, there had to have been a priest or a Levite or someone that he was in contact with who taught him the things of God. We have no idea who that is. We just get to see the amazing results. Someone did a good job in reminding him, you're in the line of David. The line of David is going to be the line of the Messiah. And so you need to grab a hold of the things of God. You need to pursue God starting now. And he did. And that's the wonder of it all. So these three things happened very early in Josiah's life. Let's go ahead and put those up there. Uh, when Josiah was <clears throat> eight years old, he was crowned king. Sixteen years old, which is, you know, not, not very old. He began seeking God, seeking after God in a special way like, like David did. And by the time he's twenty, he began to purge the idols and idol worship from Judah and Israel. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, the hills and, and the towns and everything being full of idolatry and idol worship like you can't believe. Who influenced him? I hope someday I get to meet the guy that taught Josiah all of these things. Because it doesn't matter who he is, but you can see the result in the life of this young, young king. It's possible that uh, two of the prophets that were on the scene at the time were Zephaniah and Jeremiah, and they may have had some influence on him. Um, <clears throat> and yet, whoever it was that taught him, taught him what was the most important thing, and that was to seek God. And seek God to obey God. And so Josiah's whole heart was, we need to turn back to God. I need to help our people see that they need to turn back to God. And so during his reign, the power in the ancient Near East during this whole time frame, remember Assyria had been the one that had been just kind of constantly bringing Israel, and Assyria took the ten tribes and made them disappear into the, into the other parts of the world. <clears throat> and, and then there's this constant fighting with Babylon and sometimes even Egypt. And, and by 609 B.C., which is right at the end of Josiah's reign, Babylon is now supreme. 
So in this time period, stop and think about what he's going through. He's king. He's trying to clean up the kingdom and do everything he can to cause Israel to pursue God like they're supposed to. But at the same time, he's got armies from Assyria and Egypt and Babylon kind of running around and chasing each other and and traipsing through, many times traipsing through Israel to get to where they had to go. There's an implication here. Verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And follow the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. The net translation says this way. I love the way the net puts it. He did what the Lord approved and followed in his ancestor David's footsteps. He did not deviate to the right or to the left. This is a guy that once he got a hold of what God wanted from him, said, this is the path right here. This is where I'm supposed to be. Not that way. Not that way. This way. So he didn't turn one way or the other. Nothing distracted Josiah from his purpose. Nothing. Not the evil that was around him. Not the countries who were warring around him. He refused to be turned away from his pursuit of God. If there was ever a person who could have said, Hey, you know, give me a break. Look at where I've come from. Look at what I had to put up with. I mean, my dad, he was terrible. My grandpa wasn't much better. If there's anybody that could have said that, it was Josiah. He didn't. All Josiah said was, okay, I'm hearing that I'm supposed to worship and follow God. God, help me. This is what I want to do. He made no excuses. Uh, he learned about God and he lived it out every day in his life and he challenged others to do the same thing, to seek out the truth of God. For Josiah, the pattern was very, very clear. The more he learned about God, the more he developed a relationship with God, the more his relationship developed with God, the more he wanted to obey God. It was just a very a very simple pattern for him. And I understand up until this point, all of this is coming from someone or from a couple people who know and understand God's Word, but there's no Bible, no scroll, or anything that he's actually get, got his hands on. So he's learning orally all of these amazing things from people who know them and are passing them on to him. I love the fact that he didn't make excuses. The pattern was clear. The more he learned, the more he developed the relationship, the more he'd be able to obey and be able to honor God. And so he just kept going. Someone encouraged him. (laughs) What a great thing. When I was younger, I always used to think that if my circumstances changed, I would be able to walk closer with God. And that was kind of always in my mind. I was, had parents who were missionaries, and my dad was a lay pastor. And, and so, I, you know, I grew up with God's Word and, and um, you know, had many opportunities to serve. But that was always kind of in my mind. You know, if I could just, if I could just get to summer camp, then I'll be able to walk with God better. Just no more distractions. Um, or if, um, <clears throat> if I spend more time with God, then... I can do that when I have my own room, sharing with this person. You know, it just doesn't work all that well. Or, or I, I'll be able to seek God better when I finally get to Bible college and focus all my heart on Him. And Lord, maybe, maybe that a new job would really help me to be able to focus. Or maybe when my kids get older, I'll have more time and I can, I can focus. And those are all excuses that I've used at different times for various reasons. And God wanted me to learn to spend time with Him no matter what was going on. And Jesus wanted me to pursue Him no matter what happened, no matter what I was facing. And the Lord 
wanted me to spend time with him no matter, no matter what, how it felt. Now, <clears throat> we all have excuses for why we may drift away or, or don't focus like we should on the things of God. Um, I was 19. I was a single missionary in Quito. I was struggling with the whole being alone part, uh, which was hard. Wondering why I didn't see God working closer in my heart and wondering why I wasn't like Jim Elliott or Hudson Taylor or all these people that I'd read about. Um, right at that time when I was living in Quito, the Missionary School Alliance Academy had a, like a spiritual emphasis week every year and I was able to sneak in at night and just hear a series of messages by a guy. I don't even remember who he was. But I remember getting to the end of that time and just really being challenged and, and, and being challenged to pursue God even more. And I, I managed to come back when he was done talking with everybody else and just say, listen, I, I don't know what to do. I said, I, I, I'm in the Word of God. I mean, it's not something that I spend hours and hours in, but I, but I do. I'm in, in, I'm in the Word. I pray. I, I'm serving, and so I see God doing things. But I just don't sense that I'm drawing close to God the way I'd like to. And I don't know what to do about that. And I, and I think in my mind I was thinking of, okay, just give me some formula here. And, and if I do A plus B, C will be I'm really close with God. And that's kind of what I was looking for in my mind. The interesting thing was to me, he said, <clears throat> let me give you a hint here about how this really looks in real life. He said, I want you to get a book called Practicing the Presence of Christ by Brother Lawrence. It's just a little tiny booklet. It's uh, written by a monk who spent a whole bunch of years basically working in the kitchen. And he wrote this little book. And, it, and, and I remember when I finally got it and started going through it, the whole point of the book was no matter what you're doing, focus on the Lord as you do it. Do it for Him. And, and here's a guy who, like I said, spent years peeling potatoes so other people could eat. Spent years cleaning in the kitchen so that nobody would get sick from the, you know, the things that he prepared. Spent years doing the kind of stuff that all the real spiritual guys didn't do because he was doing that. And yet at, at the end of his life, and even further down the road, there were people who were saying, you know what? I want to read this book by Brother Lawrence. Oh yeah? Was he some big name in, in, in the priesthood back? No, no, no. Nobody knew about him back then. And the challenge to me was to take everything that happened every day and simply say, okay, Lord, you're in my day today. How can I live out the truths that you want me to live? How can I, how can I serve you in this? And, and I had a friend that um, he would <clears throat> get up first thing in the morning and, and everybody who went to bed late would just throw all the stuff in the, in the sink and just kind of leave it there. And he, and he used to get really angry about that. And finally he started saying this. As he would approach the sink, knowing what he was going to see, knowing he could get angry and upset and start throwing stuff around, he started to pray, Lord God, thank you for the privilege I have to serve. And that became his prayer. Thank you for the privilege I have to serve. So before anybody ever got up, he'd already been doing some things for the Lord, and the Lord was working in his heart, and he did this common, ordinary, everyday thing. And how did he do it? For the Lord. And I think that's that's kind of what's going on in the Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament Scripture in Deuteronomy, it talks about how when you're <clears throat> when you're with your kids or when you're with someone else and you're walking, don't forget the things of God. And when you sit down at the table, don't forget the things of God. When you go to sleep, when you wake up, remember that God is there. And, and the whole thought was 
They didn't have scrolls to go and have devotions with, but they could focus their hearts on what they had heard, maybe what they had learned. You imagine just having in your own mind maybe the Ten Commandments and a few of the passages in the, in the, in the, the Pentateuch and taking those things and saying to your kids as you're taking a walk, hey, isn't it awesome how we see all that God's doing? Or when things really go bad, say, you know what? God is a God who is in control of these things. And so we thank Him and we praise Him. And it's that kind of a pursuit of God. Do we need God's Word? Yes. But there's also that every day, put it into practice, heart and soul and focus on Jesus Christ. So Josiah began to seek God even before he ever had the Scriptures. And not like his father Manasseh Raman, but like his father David. Let's keep going. Let's jump into verse 8. Now, this is 26 years old now in verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, um, um, he sent Shaphan, uh, son of Azariah, Masariah, to to the ruler of the city, I'm sorry, which which Joah, son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord. So here's what's going on. He realizes that the stuff that's happened with Ammon and, and Manasseh, where they did so many things and brought so many things, terrible things into the temple, had caused damage. And he wants to have that damage repaired. And so he gets people with skills, and, and he knows it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to take finances. But he gets some faithful people, and he sends them out to do that work that needs to be done. Now, they discover... Um, in the offering box that has been maybe collected for a long period of time, maybe hidden away somewhere. We don't know the details there. But they discover as they're taking the silver out to pay the workers that there's a scroll or a book there. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. This is when he goes back to talk to the king. Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So he's reading, reading God's word for the first time. They haven't had this available to them. It's the only copy there is. When the king heard the words of the law, verse 19, he tore his robes. This is a sign of anguish. This is a sign of incredible uh, pain, spiritually, emotionally, every way. And he is showing that his heart is ripped to shreds by this as he understands what God has wanted all along and it hasn't happened. And he tears his clothes. This is a sign of incredible grief and a wonderful response to hearing the Word of God. Again, we think that probably this is the first five books of the Old Testament that they found. And... <clears throat> it's interesting because Josiah in verse 21 says, Go inquire of the Lord for, for, for the remnant of Israel. Um, and, and then he says, Great is the Lord's anger that's poured out on us because of those who have gone before us. They haven't kept this word. They had it. They didn't keep it. They have not acted in accordance with all of that is written in the book. So what... You know, again, it's thought by many that this was the very last copy that there was. 
There was no more anywhere else. And some priest somewhere, who again is not named, we have no clue who it is, but seeing the evil of Manasseh, which is probably when this happened, said, you know what? All these things are being destroyed. God's scrolls are being destroyed. And so he took them and managed to hide them in a place where they were not found. One copy. And now Josiah hears it and he's convicted. And he says, wow, I, this is horrible. And, and why did Manasseh and Amon and others want to hide the word? Because the word of God, the scriptures would have condemned Baal worship and condemned sacrificing of children to idols. All of that would have been totally condemned. And so they got rid of it so they could do whatever they wanted. So when Josiah was 26 years old, he started the temple repairs. And as he started those temple repairs, then they uncover God's Word, and they find it, and they read it. And there's the appropriate response by Josiah and others. And I just, I, I stopped and I asked myself, when's the last time that as I've been reading God's Word, I responded with a, oh man, God, you got to do something in here first. When's the last time we were broken before the word of God like that. Verse 29, the king called together. I love this. <laughs> when you're the king back then, you could do this. All of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people, the least to the greatest. And here it comes. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. That amazing? What an incredible thing. He's got God's word finally. And he says, man, we can't keep this to ourselves. Let's get everybody together and let's read this thing. Let's understand it. Let's put our heart and soul into getting what he's got to say to us. And as a result of that, in verse 33, Josiah goes out into all the territory and continues to get rid of all of the idols and look at verse 33. From all of the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And that's awesome. He finally got the nation, and they were all believing and following God. Next phrase, as long as he lived. As long as they had a godly king and a godly leader of the nation, they followed. But just as quickly... They were willing to go away. Now, what, what a horrible thing is that? And I think that really brings me back to, you know what, we are called to and encouraged to get into God's Word. And there are people that all of us have admired and, and, and have benefited from their teaching. But if that person dies or that person goes in the wrong direction and walks away from God, we still have the Word of God. And we're supposed to go back to the Word of God. So, verse 33, all of them had renewed the covenant. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 says, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these are the commandments I give you today. And so, this is something that Josiah believed and, and was trying to communicate and trying to help others to see. It was a hard issue. Josiah understood it was a hard issue. 
Yeah, they had to get rid of the practical things like the altars and the idols, but, but you would want to do that if your heart was right. Because that's why he kept going back to that. Verse chapter 35, 1. Oh, let me just, just throw this in there. Because this was the last copy, um, it, it's, con- it's thought by many that Josiah then commissioned the, the copying, many copies of the Word of God and funded it and prepared it so that when Israel was taken away, there were copies that were able to go to Babylon, copies that went with the people, and there were copies that were still there in Jerusalem, hidden away. So when they come back, and you've got Ezra the scribe beginning to put stuff together, they had God's Word because of Josiah, because he took the time to make sure that it was copied and prepared. Verse 35, 1, not only did they commit themselves to following the Lord and rededicate themselves to the Lord. Josiah celebrated the Passover of the Lord, and the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. And he appointed priests to to their duties and encouraged them to serve the Lord. And so after they'd read the Word of God and people had confirmed their their faith and trust in God once again, their desire to serve and honor Him, then they celebrate the Passover and verse 30, and verse 7, just to kind of give a couple highlights, I challenge you to go back and read 34 and 35 later. Josiah provided for all of the lay people who were there a total of 30,000 sheep and goats for the Passover offering and 3,000 cattle, all from the king's own possessions. And, and, and see, it, you could get back to the numbers. How many did David do? How many did Solomon do? How about Hezekiah? It's not about the numbers. I mean, this is a huge amount of of uh, sheep and goats and so forth. Part of that is that they were sacrificed, but also they were used in the, the meals. And you had to feed all these people who had come to Jerusalem. And the, one of the ways of doing that was the fellowship offerings. Verse 18 gives us some amazing insight. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. So as a guy who did some amazing things, I wasn't that, not as good as, it was way better than that. Even maybe Solomon, dedication of the temple, David and some things. Samuel's who they go back to and say, you know what? Samuel, he's the one you go back to. And nothing like that, like that has happened until now. And to me, it isn't the number of goats and sheep and cows. It's the heart. You've got a guy who is, committed to God in ways that maybe nobody else had and really didn't have anything going for him. He didn't have the law. He didn't have teachers. And yet, look at what he's done. And so this is a man sold out to God in every way and every form. Let's put this up there again. 26 years old was a special day, a special year for Josiah. He started the temple repairs. They found God's Word and they read it. They renewed their commitment to God and they celebrated the Passover. All of that was what happened when he turned 26 years old and began to pursue God and, and all those things. Actually, he was pursuing God even before that. He goes on in that chapter as he worked tirelessly trying to get rid of all of the high places, the medium, spiritists, you name it. And many times he desecrated the altars of the high places with the bones of those who had done those things. So that now you've got dead bones over the top of these dead altars. And he was tireless. He just didn't quit. He kept going. Second Kings, the parallel passage, does tell us this. 23-25, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him 
who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Okay, so that's, you want to know who Josiah is? Right there, that's Josiah. Okay, he is held up as an incredible king, like David, for that very reason, loved God with all his heart, his soul, and his strength. And he had so many things against him, and yet he followed God. Nevertheless, verse 26, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. What's being said here is Josiah was amazing. He's godly. He led the nation in godly patterns. But when Josiah died, the nation went back to doing evil. And the Lord is saying there was a stain on this nation so horrible because of what Manasseh did that even after Manasseh got back together with the Lord and was able to confess, it didn't take away the stain and the evil which he had permeated the, the country with. And so along comes Josiah and brings this fresh wave, godliness in pursuit of God. Three or four kings later, later, they're still just as evil as they were, or back to being evil again, and Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Jerusalem. There's some implications here. I love verse 29 when it says that uh, the king called together all the elders, all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, Levites, from the least to the greatest, and he read in their hearing the words of God. What an amazing thing. Now, reading God's word publicly showed two things down back then. Remember, none of these people could go home and pull out their Bible and read it. They didn't have them. When they were reading these in Josiah's time, that was the only copy they had at that point. Now, they had many more before he died. But still, they weren't for the common person. They were read by the priests and Levites. So reading God's Word publicly showed that the Word of God was meant for everyone. He stood up there and he read it and he read it. So they all understood, this isn't just for me, the king. This is for all of you too. So let's listen and let's do what God has commanded us to do. Second thing It is inspired and it's authoritative. It's the norm. It's the standard. And so this is what we live by, not anything out here on the edges. So if you've got someone coming along saying, hey, God doesn't, it doesn't bother God all that much. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to him. Remember the word of the Lord and, and obey him. I wonder, how do others know that we as a church family value God's word? I also ask myself, how do people know that I, as a person, individually, value God's Word? That's a great question to ask ourselves. There's a takeaway here. Josiah is a great, great example of someone who responded to the challenge of seeking God, and, and it, where it led him, he followed. And when he got God's Word, he was committed to it. Um, all of us are at different points of time and need, and we are all challenged to seek God. And we don't have any of the hassles that Josiah did, any of those difficulties. And so maybe we just need to be thinking through, okay, Lord, help me to renew my focus and my heart on you. Lord, I want I want to come and, and approach you and be with you and walk with you. Help me to be able to do that.
Maybe you're here today and, and you need to know that God is the one that you need to have working in your life. And if you don't have a relationship with Him, the first thing is to be saved, to come to Him and say, Lord God, I need a, I need a Savior. Would you change my heart? Make me your child. I bow before you and I ask that you would save me. The words aren't that important, but it's your heart saying, God, without you I'm sunk. I believe that you died for me. Or maybe you've just drifted away and it's time to come back and be restored. Admit that you've drifted and confess that as sin and ask God for restoration. There's a lot of lessons from Josiah's life. Let me just give you these four. One of the things we learn from him is to seek God. And this is where it all started for him. Age 16, he started to seek God. It's a time to put time and effort into our relationship with God and ask God to open our hearts and our eyes. And It's impossible to seek God apart from the Word of God. And if you're hearing in this that I'm saying, so you need to be up at 4.30 in the morning and spend two hours in the Word of God or you'll never be godly, that is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, each of us, if we're serious about seeking God, are going to find that time when we can say, okay, God, I want to focus on you. Would you help me? Some people are so busy with raising kids or with uh, two and three jobs that it's really difficult. But it's a, it's a hard attitude saying, God, I do want to know you more. And maybe all I've got is this. And maybe all I can do is listen to, to your word on the way into work. But help me to get that. Help me to understand. Help me to seek you. Second part of that is focusing on God's Word, getting back to the basics. And again, that can be in all kinds of different ways. I have found an amazing tool for me. I'm, I'm an incredibly slow reader, which is great when you're studying. But if you're just reading and wanting to get something, it's hard. And so I, I, I have been able to get, um, it's free, uh, Bible Gateway has a number of translations that are audio and many times, when it, like from this passage, I was reading all kinds of chapters in Kings and Chronicles. Well, I listen to them over and over and over because I capture things quickly when I'm listening. But when I'm reading, it takes two, three times longer. That's just me. And so for me, it's been one of those wonderful things to be hearing God's Word and, and, what, and then stopping. Okay, I, I, I need to check on that. And I go back and, and look at the verse. So whatever it takes for you to take in God's Word in a special way, there's, there's all kinds of tools out there. Uh, put away idols. And that's anything that tastes God's place. Sometimes it's a, it's a habit or something that, that I, I enjoy doing that may not, not be wrong, but it just gets out of balance. And it takes up everything in my life that isn't already spoken for. And so we need to just say, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm putting in your place? And the last was the whole idea of commitment. And, you know, I, I regularly have to come to those points in my own life where I say, okay, Lord, let's go. Let's do this together. And I'm not talking about some big emotional thing. Um, for me, I've been several key points in my life where, where I've made a statement and I've prayed to the Lord and said, okay, Lord. But sometimes it's just a daily thing. Lord, today, I, I just want to walk with you today. Please help me. Remember, we're supposed to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Now, I don't know where you've been this past week, but this past week I, I um, there's a number of things that kind of all hit at once, and, and I was kind of trying to muddle my way through the week and trying to figure out how I can do something about this and, and praying about it and 
on some levels, being a little bit down at, at what other people were, were going through. <clears throat> and I think realizing that maybe I hadn't spent my time like I wanted to, or maybe I had forgotten to do something that really was kind of important for me to do. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but sometimes you get to a point where you just feel so defeated, at least I do from time to time. And those are the times I just have to go back and get on my knees and say, Lord, here I am again. You may have heard this poem. It's from an unknown author. It just kind of captured for me the wonder of God's grace. He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet all soiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted. And into his tired heart I cried, Do better now, my child. I came to the throne with a trembling heart the day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. He took my day, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. And into my tired heart he cried, Do better now, my child. And with the new day, Lamentations 3 always gives me hope. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, what the faithful love of the Lord never fails, and I can trust to hope in the mercies of God because they're new every morning. I can trust His faithfulness. It never fails. And I can depend on Him and His goodness. Josiah is one of those great examples we have May we learn from him to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, come before you this morning humbly acknowledging that so many times we act maybe like we've got it all together and everything's fine and we fool maybe other people, but we don't fool you. I'm thankful that we can't. And so as we leave this place today, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged by the fact that you are a God that's full of grace and mercy and it never fails. And it is always there. And I ask that you'd help me and help each of us walk in the light of that truth. In your name we pray. Amen.